The third act. Letter number five. Dad to Johnny and Eli. Dear Johnny and Eli. My boys. You are both men now. Men that I look upon with pride and admiration. Like your mother, I am in disbelief about the passage of time. The years have fallen away like notes from a violin. Beautiful, serene, and sweet, but mixed with a touch of sadness. I cannot help but shed a tear for the notes of time I wish we could play back together. And yet, I smile when thinking of the songs and stories we have written. There is so much more I wish I would have said and done over the years. My work has often kept me away. Now I find myself searching for a way to wrap my words around you like a pair of loving wings. Here is my attempt to do that. This is what I would like you to know. I am a simple man and I lead a simple life. I prefer it that way. I learned from an early age that less is often more and love can conquer all. Sometimes it can be difficult to see that truth, but I hope you will trust me in saying so. As you both take courageous steps into a world that will demand much of you at times, my greatest wish is you will find comfort and joy in the simple things. Keep it simple, and you will see and realize every dream you can imagine. Life is love. Don't ever be afraid to love, my sons. In a world that can be harsh and hateful, you will sometimes have to be the love you wish to see more of around you. Always remember that a kind word or a helping hand can truly make a difference. A smile can brighten someone's day. Love with all your heart. Don't hold back. From saying you love, from showing you love, from leading with love. Those around you will ultimately appreciate it. And of course, always protect your love. It may mean protecting yourself. It may mean protecting others. Fight for love if necessary. It is perhaps the only thing truly worth fighting for. There's nothing more important than the people you love. Your family. There is certainly nothing more important to me than mine. Loving you, my sons, is the simplest yet greatest thing I've ever done. Life is loss. You will sometimes fall. It's okay. Get back up. Try again. Do better if you must. Ask for help if needed. You will sometimes fail. That's okay too. Failure can be a great teacher. It will keep you humble yet hungry. It will make you stronger if you let it. You will watch others fall and fail as well. Lift them back up if you can. Offer to help if you see that they need it. And of course, you will lose sometimes. You'll lose that job you loved or that friend you thought you'd always have. You'll lose faith in yourself or perhaps in another. And at some point, you'll lose someone you love. None of us are lucky enough to live forever. That kind of loss will hurt like nothing else can. My sons, you must continue to live in love anyway. Carry the memories forward. It's the only way for a loss to become a legacy. Legacies are meant to live forever. Life is learning. The lessons never stop. Value education for the treasure it is and guard it with all you've got. Not just what you can learn in a book, but also the wisdom you can gain from the world around you. 
Knowledge really is power. Remember, life is about progress, not perfection. Learn to strive for only your personal best and love the miraculous person you see when you look at your own reflection. Don't concern yourself too much with what others are doing or what they may say about you. Your life is exactly that. Yours. You both deserve all the blessings life can bring. You both deserve happiness. My sons, I have loved and I have learned so much in my time as your father. I have learned that enthusiasm for life truly is contagious. I have learned that working hard for your family is worth every sacrifice. I have learned, because of you, it really is the simple things in life that matter most. I hope I have taught you a few important things as well, like what unconditional love looks like. You should recognize it when your mother and I look at the two of you. I hope you have learned to look a person in the eye and show them respect, even if they don't return the courtesy. I hope you have learned to be patient, kind, and generous to be thankful for the many blessings in your lives. I hope you have already learned to believe in yourselves because you are both capable of so much. Believe in yourselves and in each other. Your mother and I most certainly do. Johnny, you are going to make the world a better place through your service and sacrifice. You are carrying the tradition of fighting for your country forward. I know you will do it with honor. Eli, you are going to move mountains and inspire so many people with your talent and your determination. You will be the first in our family to graduate from college. What a special honor as well. You have both grown into such fine young men. Your mother and I could not be more proud. Always keep it simple, my sons. Love, faith, and family. That's all that really matters. All my love. All my life. Dad. Big Plans Dear friend, By the time I was a senior in high school, Johnny had already finished basic training in the Army, gone through more extensive training for the Special Forces as a Cavalry Scout, and gotten his first set of orders to serve overseas. His first couple of missions would take place in Bosnia and Kosovo. These missions were highly classified, so Johnny couldn't tell us much about where he was or what he was really doing while he was out there. All we knew for certain was the work he was doing seemed dangerous, and we were left to worry about him. I was definitely afraid for his safety during these missions. You may be able to guess what he told me when I did hear from him. Everything will be fine, little bro. Though now he added something else to that old familiar phrase. I know what I'm doing, Eli. For the first time in a long time, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Johnny really did seem happy with his decision to become a soldier, and I could tell he was excited about his future again. It made me feel better knowing that, even with him so far away. It was amazing to witness his transformation in such a short period of time. It was as if he had stepped out of one set of clothes and into a much better one. These clothes seemed a perfect fit. Johnny was truly a man now and on his way to becoming a great American hero in many people's eyes. Mine included, of course. I figured it was up to me to make sure I wasn't too far behind him when it came to becoming a man myself. So I tried to make the best of the situation on my end, too. 
As long as I continued to make Johnny proud, I was on the right track. My plan for my senior year at Jefferson High was quite simple. I was going to stay on track with a high GPA, get cast in all of the lead roles for the school plays, and get accepted into college. I knew I would have to work hard to earn some scholarships as well. There was no way mom and dad could afford to send me to college on their own dime. As much as they would have loved to, it simply wasn't an option. I was at peace with it though. I understood. I decided my equation for life was simple. Faith plus hard work equals success. I was used to working hard and ready to finish out my time at Jefferson High the right way. For me, that meant having some fun too though. It couldn't be all work and no play. I'd made and kept that promise to myself ever since I was a freshman. But as much fun as I had on stage and through adventures with friends like DJ and Nick, I must admit I also wanted to explore the excitement of chasing girls as well. Pretty normal for a teenage boy, right? The only problem was I still didn't really know how to do that. Or maybe I still just didn't have much confidence. Johnny and DJ had both taught me that it was often a matter of simply being brave enough to approach a girl in the first place. Find out what she likes, what she's interested in, they would say, and make sure you listen to her. Don't just make it all about you. That seemed easy enough. And fortunately, I did have girls approach me sometimes, usually to ask about a performance I had done or to tell me I kind of looked like Justin Timberlake from NSYNC. I often thought they were either teasing me or just paying me a compliment as a friend. The only time I knew a girl liked me was when a freshman or sophomore theater student would come up and tell me one of her friends had a crush on me. She thinks you're such a good actor and so cute, they would giggle. But I wasn't looking to jump into anything serious or break a young, hopeless romantic's heart. I just wanted to go out on a few dates with some girls who were probably on their way to college soon as well. Maybe practice my casual dating skills work on my kissing technique, and possibly learn how to become great dating material someday. After all, I had to be ready for college. At least that's the way I saw it. Girls didn't exactly make it easy for me that year. Not that they should have, of course. But they could be really cruel at times. It was no mystery why I didn't have as much confidence as I would have liked. I didn't feel remotely close to being a man yet, and the mean girls would remind me why. There's one memory in particular that's always kind of stuck with me. I was working with two girls on a scene for theater class. At one point in the scene, I was supposed to approach one of them and embrace them with a hug. We practiced it a couple of times to get the pacing down and eliminate any awkwardness or discomfort there might be. I thought it was going pretty well. But during a short break, I saw my two scene partners pointing at me and laughing. I actually thought they might be flirting with me at first. Then one of them said, Oh my god, okay stop, that, that's so gross. I had a sneaking suspicion they were talking about me. So I went up to them and asked, What are you girls talking about? To this day, I, I can't believe their answer. The cruelty of their candor was shocking. One of them turned to me and said, We were just talking about what it would be like to have sex with you. It would be like having sex with a skeleton. You're so skinny, Eli. It's kind of disgusting. And so that's how I often felt. Disgusting. It seemed even theater couldn't save me from my own self-image then. Theater may have been my first true love, but she wasn't the angel I was looking for. Even still, I had a great senior year. 
I finished in the top 5% of my class, landed lead roles in all of the school plays, and got accepted into several different colleges. I even earned a few scholarships to help me along the way. I was going to be the first one in my family to go to college. I had the opportunity to become the first to earn a college degree, to achieve the American dream. And yet, it still didn't feel like enough. I constantly thought about everything Johnny was doing for our country, continents away from where I stood. I knew he was experiencing something so much bigger than himself and trying to make the world a better, safer place. He was putting on a uniform every day that represented his service and his sacrifice. All I was doing was wearing make-believe clothes and pretending to be someone else every time I got on a stage. It was beginning to feel somewhat unimportant and, even sadly, insignificant. I would hear a voice in my head asking, Are you sure this is what you want to do? Is it really worth it? Fortunately, that voice always had the same answer. Eli, you love it. You have no idea where it might lead you, but you love it. For the time being, that was going to have to be enough. Sometimes plans don't work out the way you want them to, especially the ones you make as a teenager. Or maybe it's more fitting to say that even when your plans do seem to work out, the actual result is not always what you thought it would be. In other words, you don't always get what you want. Sometimes, you get exactly what you need. When I arrived at the University of New Mexico in the fall of 2005, I was cautiously optimistic about my own future. If I'm being completely honest, I didn't really want to go to UNM initially. Staying in New Mexico is not exactly what I had in mind as an actor. I had bigger dreams, aspirations of heading to New York City or Chicago. I wanted to go somewhere known for its theater and arts culture. I wanted to be living and working among professional actors, directors, and playwrights. I saw myself making a seamless transition from student to professional actor in just a few short years. I had even auditioned for the American Musical and Dramatic Academy and gotten accepted into both the New York City and Los Angeles conservatories. I didn't get offered scholarships, though, and the price tag for attending was far too high for my family and I. So after more than a few tears and some deeper considerations, I decided to go where my education would be all but paid for and my family and friends would be just a short drive away. I did like the idea of being far enough away from home to venture out on my own, but also close enough to return to my roots if needed. Just a hop, skip, and a jump on Interstate 25 and I'd be home in no time. Leaving my family and friends was harder than I expected. Beginning my new journey was exciting, yet I found myself thinking more about the past. I recounted old memories and recycled meaningful words my loved ones and I had exchanged over the years. I instantly missed all of them and was left feeling like my future could never live up to my past. I was a little bit lost without them, especially Johnny. I knew I needed to meet new people and experience new things, but I was afraid of losing an important part of myself in the process. It felt like trying to replace something I never wanted to lose in the first place. For the first time in my life, I was alone. At UNM, I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any friends from back home, had nothing in common with my new roommate in the dorm, and every face in the theater department was completely new to me. They were the faces of people I would compete against for roles and opportunities for the next four years. 
It was intimidating. And it created a strange dichotomy. On one hand, we could relate to each other's experiences, insecurities, hopes, frustrations, everything we would go through together. On the other hand, we wanted the same thing. And in most cases, only one of us would get it. One of the very first things we had to do was audition against each other for all of the main stage shows that first semester. Not exactly the easiest way to make new friends. But if you can learn to be happy for another person's success, even when it comes at your own expense, you're on your way to gaining some important wisdom. And it sure helps a would-be adversary become an important ally instead. I did see a few familiar faces walking around campus from time to time. People from Jefferson, like me. Girls I once had a crush on, old classmates, a couple of guys I played ball with as a kid. One of those guys, Marcus, got really involved with a slam poetry organization in downtown Albuquerque and eventually invited me to a few shows. I thought the art form was wonderful. It was very rhythmic and expressive and gave the poets an opportunity to live their words instead of just reciting them. I thought of it as poetry in action, storytelling at its finest. Some of the poems performed were hilarious. Others were heart-wrenching. All of them seemed poignant in one way or another. I remember thinking I'd love to try it someday. I wasn't quite ready for the courage it would take to stand up in front of a room full of people reciting and living my own words, though. I was far more comfortable performing someone else's story. It would take some time before I'd feel ready to share my own. Overall, I kept to myself a lot that first semester at UNM. In truth, I sometimes considered leaving. Just packing up and heading back to Jefferson where things were familiar and felt more comfortable. I didn't like the idea of quitting that soon, though. Giving up that easily was not really in my DNA. So ultimately, I decided I would stick it out at least until the end of the year. I made a couple of new friends, began getting to know a few of my professors, and learned a lot in my classes. I took it one day at a time. Eventually, I was doing all right. But I always felt like I was missing something. And I continued to worry about Johnny. I thought about us being worlds apart, about the vastly different paths we had taken. I thought a lot about our childhood. I remembered all the good times we had, but couldn't forget some of the bad ones as well. I wondered how things might have ended up had Johnny never stopped playing baseball, or had he and Ashley never ended up together, if he had chosen to do something other than become a soldier. I wondered if Johnny had truly found his angel or not. And then, out of nowhere, I found mine. Now remember, I didn't really want to go to UNM. I thought I didn't even want to stay in the state of New Mexico altogether. But sometimes you don't get what you want, right? Sometimes, if you're lucky enough, you get exactly what you need. Her name was Madeline. She was a girl from Jefferson. A girl from back home. I had a little bit of history with Madeline. Actually, it's more accurate to say that DJ had a little history with Madeline. They had dated for a couple of months during our senior year at Jefferson High. I had hung out with them on a couple of their dates and even had a crush on one of Madeline's friends at one point. DJ and I serenaded them one night with the song, God Must Have Spent a Little More Time on You. After all, some of the girls were comparing us to NSYNC anyway, so why not? 
We spent many a night doing boy band covers, singing to girls, and putting on performances all around town. In fact, me, DJ, Nick, and one of our other good friends, Luis, earned a lot of free dinners at fast food restaurants in Jefferson by doing that. As it turned out, though, Madeline's friend didn't talk to me much after our song for them. Our little performances didn't always yield the same results. I always liked Madeline, though. She was smart, sweet, funny, and talented. She was quite the athlete. She played basketball, volleyball, and tennis, and on top of that, had a beautiful singing voice of her own. That's actually how DJ and I met Madeline. We were all in choir together at Jefferson High. Madeline sang a lot of our female solos, and DJ and I were quite impressed from the moment we met her. When she performed, it too was like poetry in action. It took you by surprise, but was a heavenly sight. I always thought Madeline was beautiful, both inside and out. But when she was dating DJ, I just saw her as a mutual friend. She was a fun addition to our makeshift boy band, and I enjoyed getting to know her better at some of those dates that I joined them on. I even met her mother at one point and thought, Wow, I hope I have a girlfriend with a mom that cool someday. Yeah, I always liked Madeline. She was great from the very beginning. I was a little sad when her and DJ broke up. I think it was harder on me than it was on him. But I understood. They were both seniors in high school, just looking for a casual, easygoing relationship, and were both ready to go off on the next leg of their own journeys after graduation. Even so, I felt Madeline was somebody worth knowing. She was nice and respectful to everyone, and the kind of person I could see myself building a great friendship with someday. When they broke up, I feared my friendship with her might end as well. That's what typically happened when a buddy of mine broke up with a girl. DJ and Madeline told each other they would still be friends, and there was no need for things to get awkward or for them to stop talking to each other. I figured the chances of that happening were slim to none. High school exes seemed to say one thing and do another when it came to agreements like that. But in this case, DJ and Madeline stayed true to their word. They remained friends without skipping a beat. Which meant talking to Madeline was still as easy and natural as it had always been for me too. We didn't all hang out after school or anything, but in class and when passing in the hallways, we still stopped to catch up or share a laugh. This made me like Madeline even more. To me, it was a sign of maturity and even more proof that she was a good person. I really respected her for that. When we graduated, Madeline and I gave each other a big hug and said we hoped our paths would cross again someday. And then, they did. It was a cold November morning. I was standing in front of one of the music rooms, contemplating whether I should audition for the co-ed show choir in the spring or not. I was just about to walk away from the sign-up sheet when I heard the most beautiful, familiar voice behind me. Eli Andrews? Is that really you? As I turned around, trying to play it cool and contain my own excitement, I was met with the most beautiful hug I could ever imagine. I had no idea you were at UNM too, Eli. I thought you were off to New York City or something. It's so good to see you. It was so good to see Madeline, too. And here I thought I didn't have any good friends from back home, I replied. How are you doing, Maddie? How's college life treating you so far? What have you been up to? Madeline went on to tell me all about her nursing classes and how things were going with her new roommate. 
She was excited to have some new friends and loved living in a bigger city with more things to see and do. But she also missed home sometimes. She told me she had already been home to visit Jefferson a few times because she missed her family a lot and wanted them to know she hadn't forgotten them or anything. I could definitely relate to that. Madeline and I stood in front of that music room talking for what must have been at least a good hour. For me, they were stolen moments I hoped I'd never have to return. I wanted more. I tried to build up the courage to ask her if she might want to get together sometime, but I still felt a little weird about asking out one of DJ's old girlfriends like that. Instead, I figured I'd just talk to her for as long as possible this time around and hope to run into her again soon after. But then Madeline asked me a question, one I didn't have an answer to. So, are you going to sign up for the choir audition? I saw you looking at the sign-up sheet. I hesitated. Uh, well, I, I'm still not really sure. She jumped right back in. Of course you are, Eli. I'm auditioning, so you're auditioning. It will be so fun to sing together again. I smiled. It would, Maddie. It definitely would. She smiled back. Oh, that reminds me. Did you audition for any plays this year? You're very talented, Eli. I'm sure you're already getting some great opportunities in the theater department. I told her I had only gotten cast as an understudy in one of the main stage shows so far. There are some auditions coming up for a few one-act plays, though. One of the plays has a character I think could be life-changing to portray, but I don't know. I'm not sure if I'd even have a chance. I'm just a freshman, you know. <laughs> Madeline wasn't buying it. Just a freshman? Eli, you're an actor. And it's a character you'd love to play. How will you know if you have a chance or not unless you audition? I say you do it. Yeah, trust me. You need to do it. You're going to audition for show choir and this one-act play, and I can't wait to watch you perform in both. How could I say no to that? I auditioned for both, and just as Madeline predicted, I got into show choir and the one-act play. Even better, she got into show choir too. We did have a lot of fun singing together again, and we began building that great friendship I had hoped for the year before. The best part of my week quickly became walking with Madeline after class. I got to steal more of those precious moments and got to know her a lot better. She was not only one of the most kind-hearted souls I had ever known, she was also one of the most positive. Her optimism and enthusiasm for life was contagious. She was amazing in every possible way. I began falling for Madeline fast, though it took some time before I built up the courage to ask her out on an actual date. I even called DJ to discuss it with him first, wanting to make sure he wouldn't feel slighted in any way. He didn't. Are you kidding, Eli? Maddie's great, and you two would be great together. You should definitely ask her out, he told me. So I did, and she said yes. Falling in love. <laughs> Falling in love is like hearing a piece of music you never want to stop listening to. You want to play it over and over again, memorizing every note, word, and phrase. It touches you deeply in a new way every time you hear it. Falling in love is like watching the most beautiful sunset you've ever seen from start to finish. You don't want to turn away for a second, fearing you might miss that simple change in color or complexion. 
The one that pulls everything together, that makes everything fit to perfection. And as you watch it, committing every last detail to memory, you find a sense of peace, of stillness, of comfort. You know tomorrow's light will soon reappear. Falling in love is just that, falling. It's a bit like skydiving, really. It's both terrifying and exhilarating, somehow bound as one. You're not sure where you'll end up, but you know it's going to be quite the adventure along the way. You've taken the leap of faith, you're falling fast, and there's no turning back. You wouldn't want to, even if you could. Love makes you feel like you can do anything. Maddie made me feel that way. She was my angel now, and with her, I could conquer anything. Maddie truly made me feel like I could change the world with my own two hands. It was simply a matter of taking the first small step in my own community. The one-act play I got cast in that year gave me the perfect opportunity. With Maddie's encouragement and support, I began to find my purpose again. The Yellow Boat is an incredible play. It's a tragic yet inspirational true story about the life and death of a boy from Arizona named Benjamin Zarr. He was born with hemophilia and later contracted the HIV-AIDS virus through a blood transfusion. Benjamin was only eight years old when he died in 1987, and his father, David Zarr, wrote the play for him. To my complete surprise, I was cast to play the role of Benjamin, and I felt absolutely honored. It was the most challenging role I had ever been given primarily because I wanted to honor the Tsar family and tell their story authentically and respectfully. I wanted to avoid a self-serving performance in every possible way. Instead, I would focus on learning as much about Benjamin as I could and working with my fellow castmates to recreate the harsh realities he faced while also celebrating the beautiful life he lived and the many people he touched along the way. Benjamin, too, was incredible. He knew physical pain and suffering from the moment he was born, yet he offered boundless energy and imagination to those around him. He grew to know emotional pain and suffering as well. After becoming one of the first patients in Arizona to contract the HIV-AIDS virus, almost everyone in his life began to fear and avoid him. In the 1980s, little was known about the disease, so many doctors and nurses were afraid to touch their patients, get too close to them, or sometimes even be in the same room with them. By the time Benjamin was seven years old, even his best friends stayed away from him. And still, Benjamin would share hope and joy with anyone who was willing. There was one nurse in particular, who he aptly named Nurse Joy, that wasn't afraid of Benjamin or his disease, and together they shared enough hope and joy for a lifetime. Benjamin was also an incredible artist. From the time he was a little boy, he loved drawing. And during his illness, he painted scenes from his life and expressed how he was feeling through the use of color. In one painting, he describes his pain, like pins dripping acid, purple and green. That's where it's dark, hurting, red. In another, his final painting, he draws a yellow boat sailing up to the sun. We learn it's taking Benjamin up and away on his final journey. It came from his favorite bedtime story and inspired the title of the play after he was gone. I portrayed Benjamin from birth to death. We literally began the play with his first cries as a baby, moved on to sharing the touching and impactful moments of his life as a boy, and ended with his final drawing of the yellow boat shooting straight up to the sun. It was a monumental task, 
It was a rare and beautiful gift. It was life-changing and life-affirming. The rehearsals and performances alike were unforgettable. During one of our final rehearsals, Benjamin's real parents, David and Sonia Zar, came to visit us. They sat with us in our small black box theater at UNM and answered questions, offered more insights, and even shared some of Benjamin's paintings and drawings with us. I promised myself before meeting them I wouldn't ask anything that might still cause any pain and that I wouldn't cry in front of them. I knew it would be easy to get overcome with emotion if I wasn't careful. I also promised myself I would make them proud of the work we were doing. I'll never forget that night, or Benjamin's artwork, or his life and story. My favorite performance was the one Mom and Dad came to. They drove up from Jefferson to see it. It was probably the hardest performance I had ever given, and definitely the most meaningful. By the end of it, Dad was crying. It was only the second time I had ever seen him cry. The first was when his mother passed away. It was extremely difficult to hold back my own tears when I saw that. I couldn't cry until the play was over. It wouldn't have been appropriate to the role or story. But I saw Dad's face in the crowd, tears falling down his cheeks, right as I was signing off on my final journey in the yellow boat. B-E-N-J-A-M I N. Then the lights faded to black, and there was complete silence. I cried when I got backstage, and Dad gave me the warmest, most loving hug when I came out to the lobby to greet them. I knew in that moment he was incredibly proud of me, perhaps prouder than he had ever been before. I'll never forget that night, or my dad's tears or the loving moment we shared because of Benjamin's life and Benjamin's story. Even now, after all these years and hundreds of other performances, The Yellow Boat remains as one of the most memorable and moving. I suspect it always will. I saw the way it impacted people. I saw the change it could inspire. And I knew what it had done for me. I was so blessed to be a part of it. I was so proud of the work we did. I was, and forever will be, so very thankful. And it never would have happened without my angel Maddie. She changed my life, with her heart and with her own two hands. And I couldn't wait to see what we would do together next. We could change the world, one small step at a time together. Dear friend, the end of my freshman year at UNM was fast approaching, and I couldn't wait to tell Johnny all about it. I wanted him to meet my angel. I wanted her to meet my biggest hero. And as it turns out, Maddie wanted me to meet some important people in her life as well. Big things were happening, and the greatest of all was love. Letter number six, Eli to Johnny. Dear Johnny, I can't wait to see you in a couple of weeks, and I'm really looking forward to introducing you to Maddie. She's amazing, and you're going to love her too. I just know it. Johnny, I think she might be the one. I know that sounds crazy. I do. I haven't dated very many girls, and I know we're still so young. But bro, Maddie makes me better. She's an angel. She's everything. And she makes me believe I can do anything and everything I put my mind to. 
I'm even writing poetry because of her. Check this out, big bro. I'm an idealist. Thanks to you, I'm a real idealist. You who taught me that love has no color, no boundaries, no limitations, no hard lines drawn in the sand. Thanks to you, all I knew of love, could see of love, could feel of love, is that it's a living, breathing thing. An invisible shape that becomes an immaculate picture. A picture of beauty and grace, of humility and faith, of patience and kindness, the opposite of hate, of ignorance, of indifference, of ambivalence. See, love is an experience. Love is an absolute Thanks to you. Well, I'm trying to write poetry anyway. I'm still getting the hang of it. But the important thing is Maddie makes me believe in a world filled with hope and love. I think I can make the world a better place in my own way. Just like you're doing, Johnny. I can't wait to hear what you've been up to. And to play catch, of course. That's always been our thing, big bro. Love you. Eli. P.S. You'll never guess who Maddie's dad is. I'm saving that one as a surprise.